Just over two months ago, Marilyn and I were at Tel Megiddo, overlooking what Napoleon called the most natural battleground of the whole earth. It's a strategic place where major trade routes intersect and where battles have been fought for thousands of years, from Old Testament times through World War I. Tel Megiddo is also known as Har Megiddo or Armageddon in the book of Revelation. In the 16th chapter, at the pouring out of the sixth bowl of wrath, John saw the kings of the whole earth gathered together for the great day of God at Har Megadon. And in the 20th chapter, Satan is seen deceiving nations from the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, for a war that takes place on the broad plain of the earth. Now, we can't be certain of the identity of Gog and Magog or whether it even refers to military leaders or lands, but this seems to be a reference to the same battle pictured in chapter 16, a battle that is often referred to as the Battle of Armageddon and viewed as the battle that will bring about the end of the world. When we were there, it was often referred to as the actual place where that last battle will be fought. And you've no doubt heard that the current war in Israel may very well be the beginning of that battle. You know, volumes have been written and various scenarios painted of what that battle will entail, always picturing it as a physical battle that takes place at a physical location. And most include the involvement of an antichrist. But without going into all the reasons I don't accept that line of thinking, let me say that I believe the battle pictured in Revelation is spiritual in nature. And it certainly does look like spiritual warfare. When John pictures the battle ending with fire coming down from heaven, devouring those gathered for war, and the King of kings and Lord of lords smiting the nations with the sharp sword that comes from his mouth. So let's not concern ourselves with a hypothetical, physical battle. Let's just give serious thought to the Antichrist. Now, when you hear the term Antichrist, you no doubt think of the Antichrist portrayed in popular Christian books that focus on prophecy, the last days, and Armageddon. That picture of the Antichrist, however, is usually taken from a passage of Scripture that doesn't even use the term. It's drawn from 2 Thessalonians 2, where Paul speaks of a man of lawlessness who will exalt himself above every so-called God or object of worship. Perhaps we ought to go ahead and read the passage, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, 
that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so far as to be saved. Wow. There are obviously a lot of questions that arise from that passage but we're going to wait until we study 2 Thessalonians again to address them. All I want to do now is note that most authors refer to this man of lawlessness as the Antichrist and usually attempt to identify him as some politician or world figure. Now, this may make for interesting reading, but most of it belongs on the shelf marked fiction. That is not to say, however, that we shouldn't be concerned about Antichrist. But we ought to focus our attention on what is actually said about Antichrist in the scriptures rather than on what's not said. And since Paul doesn't actually use the term, perhaps we should start with the only biblical writer who does, the Apostle John. He's the only one who actually speaks of the Antichrist, and he does so in both his first and second letters with the bulk of his teaching on Antichrist found in our text for today. His teaching begins, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. It was approximately 100 AD when John wrote those words and said it was the last hour. And since it's been 1900 years since he wrote that it was the last hour, many have insisted that John was mistaken. How, they ask. Could it have been the last hour 1,900 years ago? They seem to have forgotten what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. From God's perspective, it's been less than two days since John declared it was the last hour. 
We also need to understand that when John said it was the last hour, he was apparently referring to the last period of history, the last days before Christ would return. And the consistent message from Jesus and the apostles is that we must always be ready for his return because he can return at any moment. Christ does not have to wait for some future scenario to be played out before he can return. By the time John wrote this, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and he said nothing about the need for it to be rebuilt or for a literal throne to be erected and Antichrist taking his seat on that throne. He simply says, it's the last hour, indicating that all things are coming to an end, that we are in the final chapter of human history before the return of Christ. So why hasn't he come back in 1900 years? Well, Peter tells us why. And it has nothing to do with prophecies that must yet be fulfilled. In 1 Peter 3.9, he writes, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. By delaying Jesus is giving more people time to repent, to get their lives in order before he returns. That is not to say, however, that he will hold off indefinitely. Peter goes on to add, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So the end is coming and we are in the last hour. But what about Antichrist? Obviously there was confusion about him even in John's day. They had heard that he was coming, but didn't realize that many antichrists had already come. Apparently, they were looking for one big antichrist who would signal the last hour. And while not stating there won't be one antichrist exercising considerable control over the world when Christ appears, John indicates our concern should be over the many antichrists that are already present. So what is an antichrist? Well, the word itself means something that is in opposition to Christ or in place of Christ. When applied to a person, it refers to someone who is an adversary of Christ, someone who proclaims a false Christ or seeks to become one. Jesus actually warned us about false Christs and told us to be on the lookout for them. But he also told us not to assume their appearance marked the end of the world in Matthew 24. What John says here in no way contradicts what Jesus said. He's not disputing 
that we are in the last hour. He is, in fact, confirming that we are in the last hour, the last period of history before the return of Christ by noting that many antichrists had arisen. And since the goal of antichrist is to lead us away from Christ before he returns, he wants us to be ready for them. He wants us to be able to identify them so we will not be deceived by them. And he does so by giving us three marks by which we can identify the antichrists of the last hour. They go out from the church. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. And they try to deceive the believers. They go out from the church. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Now, the Gnostic heresy that was plaguing the church in John's day had come from within the church itself. And that is where most heresies come from, from within the church. Now, Jesus taught in the parable of the wheat and tares that the enemy sows bad seed with the good and that false beliefs and false teachers often arise from within the church. And the Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian elders about those who would arise from among themselves and speak perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Since that's the case, the challenges to our faith that come from secular sources shouldn't concern us nearly as much as those that come from churches. And it's rather obvious that in an attempt to make Jesus more appealing, in a world that has made diversity and tolerance more important than truth, many churches have softened the exclusive claims of Christ. Instead of presenting a biblical picture of Christ, they encourage everyone to paint their own, one they find acceptable, a comfortable Christ a non-judgmental Savior who tolerates sinful behavior. And in doing so, they give voice to antichrist. Some, however, go a step further. They're not content to stay within established churches. Their ideas won't hold up under the searchlight of competent biblical examination and they don't want to have their teaching scrutinized by elders who have been charged with responsibility of refuting those who contradict sound doctrine. So they take their teaching and run and start up churches of their own. Now, this is not to say that everyone who leaves an established church and starts a new one is an antichrist. Most of the major reformers and restorationists did the same thing. Sometimes a particular church or even an entire denomination or fellowship strays so far off course that in order to remain faithful to the word of God, it becomes necessary 
to leave that church or denomination. But when someone starts declaring that all other churches are wrong and they alone have the truth, beware. They may have become antichrist. Fortunately, however, you can tell whether they are or not by simply examining what they believe about Jesus because they deny that Jesus is the Christ. John goes on. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. John assured his readers, and that includes us, that we know the truth about Jesus. We know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of promise. We know he is the eternal God who took on human form through the virgin birth. We know he lived among us to not only teach us how to live, but to pay the penalty for our sin and die for us. We know that he arose from the grave and promised to give eternal life to all who would believe in him and live lives of obedience that demonstrate their faith in him. That is the heart and soul of Christianity. And if you take any of that away from Jesus, if you take away the truth about Christ, you no longer have Christianity. You have the teaching of an antichrist. Liberal theologians and preachers often reduce Jesus to a teacher of some truth, but deny he spoke absolute truth for all people and all time, and that he was, in fact, truth incarnate, God in the flesh. In the fourth chapter of his letter, John will write, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. John implores us to hold on to what we heard 
from the beginning. The truth about Christ. And to not be deceived by an antichrist. And make no mistake, they try to deceive the believers. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Disenchanted, poorly taught, gullible Christians are the prime targets of antichrists. And they can be very persuasive. Jesus himself warned us that false Christs and false prophets would arise and show signs and wonders in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. And they often do succeed by promising to miraculously give their followers what they want and think they deserve. This shouldn't surprise us because Paul warned Timothy that the time would come when some believers would not endure sound doctrine but would want to have their ears tickled. He said they would therefore accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and would turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. The Antichrist is obviously active today. The Christ who is proclaimed from many pulpits is a religious figure who offends no one who is accepting and acceptable to all, even those who live sinfully perverted lives that are condemned by Scripture. Indeed, antichrists are on a mission to deceive us, but we have not been left defenseless. And John makes it very clear that our best defense is to abide in the Spirit, that anointing we received when we became Christians. The word for anointing is the same root word used for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, charisma. It refers to what the Spirit gives us that enables us to do and to be what Christ wants us to be. And John is here reminding us that the Holy Spirit enables us to identify heresy by teaching us the truth. And the Holy Spirit does teach us through the scriptures, through inner illumination, and through spirit-filled teachers. We know the truth because it's been revealed in scripture that is Spirit-inspired. We understand the truth because the Spirit who indwells us enables us to do so and enables us to discern when something is not in harmony 
with the truth. And we have spirit-filled teachers. John isn't here denying the need for teachers. Many, many Christians have been given the gift of teaching from the Spirit for the upbuilding of the church. But a Christian has no need for someone to tell him who Christ is or isn't. If you have accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit has already convicted you of who Jesus is. Just abide in him and in what you know of him and your future is secure. We are living in the last hour and Christ can return at any moment. So don't let yourself be led astray by one of the many antichrists that are active in our world today. There's not much more to say. Abide in the Christ you know. Don't be listening to new teachings, new ideas, the latest discovery. Know what's in Scripture. Read it. Study it. Abide in it. Be willing to, to let the Spirit guide you and illuminate you and make the Scriptures come alive as you study it. So that takes time. And be willing to listen to obviously Spirit-filled teachers. Fortunately, there are many still out and about. But we have an enemy, and he's succeeding. He's invaded a lot of churches. He's brought miraculous success to some churches that have denied who Christ really is and who don't preach the truth. You know who you've believed if you know Christ. Let's celebrate the confidence we have in him this morning. Let's stand.